0: I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? That four-letter little letter word, help, it might seem insignificant, but it is rarely so, is it? Imagine with me for a moment two children in their exam hall, and one raises their hand. Miss, sir, uh, teacher... I've run out of paper. I can't write any more answers. Please help me. And then on the other side of the room, another hand is raised. Please, sir, miss, help me. All my pens are broken. (laughs) Quite different situations, aren't they? Help. Nonetheless, neither of them are small or insignificant. Help. Help is what is called by a person when they're in a house on fire, out of a burning window. Help is that word we call when someone has a heart attack on the street and we shout, help, someone help, someone do something. Someone call an ambulance. Help is what a woman calls for in the midst of domestic abuse. Help is what we call for when a marriage is breaking down. Help is what you call for when you feel like you're drowning. We cry for help when we need protection, when we need rescue, when we just need to survive. Help is what we call for when we feel like we're limited. Help says, I need someone. I don't have the resources. Heck, I don't even understand what's going on. Help. And yet so often the truth is, at least for us as Christians, we feel guilty, don't we, about asking for help. We feel like we should be self-sufficient. We feel like if we are Christians, then everything should be rosy for us, right? No arguments, no accidents, no trouble, no drama. And so if we cry help, we think... Something must be wrong with me. Maybe God has noticed me, kind of blowing spiritually hot and cold, and you know God must have gone off somewhere else to pay attention to some more enthusiastic saint. But at this point, friends, Psalm one hundred and one, one hundred and twenty-one, rather, um, hits us, and it tells us that that couldn't be further from the truth. It tells us that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord watches over you. God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, is your keeper. God the Son, the Redeemer, is our guardian. God the Holy Spirit is with us and watches over us. The Lord God Almighty is taking care of all of the little details in our lives. Friends, God has not left us and our trouble is not pointless. God is in them. God is our keeper. It comes up six times in this passage, doesn't it? He's your guardian. He watches over you. He's your keeper. It's the same word there again and again and again. He is your keeper. His protection is constant. His protection is personal. His protection is total. So Psalm 121 tells us, trust him, disciple, trust him, go after him. He is your keeper. Well, how does this truth emerge? Well, we're going to see three things that, that show us the way this truth emerges in our passage. And the first one is this, that we see a threat, first one. We see a threat, a threat that seems to awaken a sense of danger. ...and a sense of desperation. What does the psalmist say? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? I wonder if you identify with that sense of not knowing. Of not knowing where your help might come from. It's worth noticing the irony here in this passage. The psalmist looks to the hills. And God's people had a history with hills. Their God is the God of the mountains... Indeed, God was the one who put man and woman in the Garden of Eden, that great mountaintop garden where heaven and earth met and where God walked with his people. It was the Lord God who had rescued Israel from Egypt and had taken them to Mount Sinai to covenant with them there. They might be his people. And indeed, even in this psalm, the people of God are on their way to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to know God there. The mountain should be a place of refuge, a place you can flee to. But here, there is a sense of danger, isn't it? I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? In those days, uh, the hills were were dangerous because (laughs) they were the place of, of robbers. If you took the mountain pass, it was dangerous. Not just because... Climbing through mountains is always physically dangerous. But because criminals lurched there, it was was scary. But not only that, if you had been walking through the hills to Jerusalem in those days, it would have been scarier still because as you look at the hilltops surrounding Jerusalem, you would have seen there on those high places, the high places of idol worship, As the psalmist looks to those hills he sees enemy gods as it were lurking there at those places of sacrifice. The believer would have looked up and felt so intimidated. Here are these enemies and maybe they're raining down curses on us. Maybe these mythological powers are are working against us. I mean us and our God we've been beaten by uh, the Babylonians and, and their gods and Oh gosh, maybe we're doomed because they've got the high places there in power. They're going to get us. The psalmist feels under threat. And the psalmist feels endangered. And so there's desperation. Look, I lift my eyes to the hills from where? Where does my help come from? The psalmist is scared. He's looking to help. Looking to the mountains. Uh, And and you just feel their sense of desperation. Where, where, where does my help come from? It's ironic because as the psalmist looks to those hills, they don't just feel dangerous. As as the psalmist would look to those hills, there would also be offers of help that would come. Come from those high places. Consider what the psalmist is afraid of. Look at verse 3. The psalmist is afraid of tripping and falling. Well, if the psalmist were to go to those high places, he could buy an amulet for that. A little bracelet that would protect him from being tripped and and falling by the evil spirits that lurk in the ground. You know, verse 5, he's afraid of the sun. Well, go to the high places and there you could sacrifice to the sun god and you'd be safe. He's afraid of the moon. In those days, people thought... Um, excessive exposure to the moon could lead to things like malaria and a collapse in your mental health. Well, again, go to the high places and you could appease the moon god. You get yourself some safety. Do you see, the psalmist is in danger here, and he's desperate. It's almost like he said, "I've, I've been down those paths, I've thought those thoughts, I've desperately been seeking help. I just can't see where it comes from. It's not so hard to imagine, really, is it? Imagine. uh, It's that Tuesday. And you get home and there it is. That letter you'd been expected. It's the one you've been dreading. Uh, Only you hadn't expected it this soon. And you open it and the thoughts race through your head. Am I going to be okay? What am I going to do? Have we got the money to sort this out? Who can I call for, for help? Wasn't it... Wasn't it Sophie? Wasn't it Diana? Was it Raj? Was it Joy? I can't remember. They said something about you could go and see this person and they would do this and they would do that and it might work and what can we do? Can't do anything. Someone please help. There is a threat here, isn't there? There is that sense of danger and desperation. Where's my help come from? How often have you gone to Google in search of answers. And we know full well, don't we, search enough times and in enough different ways and on page 79, if you've asked the question the right way, you will eventually find another answer. Rarely can we, it seems, say with the psalmist, from where does my help come from, there always seems to be another link to click. But here the psalmist sees that for all those offers of help, well, he's disillusioned with the lot. It's like the psalmist has looked everywhere and yet forgotten to look to God but now the psalmist starts to remember what they say they believe I love the way reformer John Calvin says what the psalmist is doing here and and what the psalmist shows us he says the psalmist here exhibits to us a malady with which all mankind are afflicted that so soon as we are smitten with any fear we turn our eyes in every direction until faith Drawing us back from all these erratic wanderings directs us exclusively to God. You know, so often our first thought is not to turn to God. I mean, eventually we do. But sometimes only ever so tentatively. Here the psalmist does that which we need to do. We remind ourselves what we say we believe. What we ought to believe. But we haven't always functionally and practically held on to the Lord God as our help, as our keeper. But now the psalmist makes his confession. Point number two, he makes a statement of his belief. Look how he speaks to himself, verse two. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Maybe he's been stood there staring at the mountains and suddenly he just noticed there's Their jaw-dropping magnificence. And he remembers that it's the Lord who made the mountains. It's he who planted their roots in the deep. He is bigger than any threat they might stand for. He is the creator and they and everything is his creation. Now the psalmist finally kind of states their conviction. And it wasn't quite what they started with, was it? But it is now where they got to. They weren't holding on to the Lord as their creator, but they are now. They are now. And and it makes you wonder, why wasn't the psalmist doing it? Heck, it makes us wonder, why don't we start there sometimes? You know, start with the confession of what we believe. Verse 2. I wonder why he didn't start there. I suppose it's because he didn't really trust it. He didn't really trust that the Lord was his help. And Maybe it was because the psalmist didn't really know what it meant to say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But now, wonderfully, there's a change, isn't there, in verse 3. And the psalmist starts to talk to themselves. And maybe it's even another voice that comes in to talk to the psalmist and counsels him. I like to think that as believers sang this song, Maybe a leader sung verses 1 and 2, and then in verses 3 and 4, everyone else then spoke spoke to them. But wonderfully, there's a change in verse 3, isn't there? And reassurance comes in. Point number three, the reassurance. And here's the reassurance. That if we know and we confess and we believe that the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is our keeper, then he's the creator, rather, Then he is our keeper. Because you see, here's the thing perhaps the psalmist hadn't got right. (laughs) In the Bible, God being the creator never ever means that he simply creates and then wanders off, like sometimes some people presume. No, in the Bible, God, for God to be the creator, it means for him to be the sovereign ruler. It means for him to be the governor of all things. That everything that happens, happens according to his will. So to say, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is to say that God is going to be with me all the time. My help comes from him who controls everything. So he's my keeper. He made everything. He sustains everything. He governs everything. He cares for everything. And if I say he's my help, if I say he's set his affections on me, then I know he's going to be taking great care over me. I think the implications of this wonderful truth come out in the verses that follow. You see, because the maker of heaven and earth is your keeper, we can know that we have with him constant protection Constant protection. Look at verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You see, his protection is constant. He watches over your every step. You cannot place a foot without his so willing he'll not let you be tripped up. Imagine a friend who's so close to you that they would catch you every moment you might fall. Now, notice this can't be about simply physically tripping up. That that can't be right. <laughs> of course, we do trip up and we do sprain ankles. But in those days, to be tripped up was 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 a feeling, I, I guess, like sometimes we have today, where some people are afraid of the number 13 or walking under a ladder or something like that. To be tripped up was to be kind of taken out by evil spirits that were against you, you see. And and so here, the believer is saying, the Lord is going to keep me from anything that would trip me up, cause me to fall into sin, any spirit that would be out to get me. The Lord so protects my every step you will never be tripped up into sin such that you fall away if the Lord is your keeper. So vital that we believe that actually, isn't it? One pastor reflecting on this psalm says, Remember, an ounce of sin can harm us more than a ton of suffering. A sin can harden our hearts so we lose everything. But suffering, if handled rightly, can make us wiser, happier, happier and deeper to see God is our constant protection from that which would harm us most God is our keeper so that our struggles don't overwhelm us but our struggles are a time of rejoicing that the Lord has been with us you see we are not the plaything of fate and chance and spiritual forces we are not destined to fall apart as much as you might think it he will not let your foot be moved sometimes those of us who are of an anxious disposition will think, oh, he's, I've, I've been got again. It was always going to happen to me. I was always predestined to be that statistic. It was just going to go wrong. And here the psalmist remembers God is our constant keeper. He's he's never letting you go. Oh, but you say, he might be fed up with me. He might be done with me. He He might have wandered off. I can't see the Lord doing anything in my life at all. You know, the pagans in that day thought those sorts of things. (laughs) They would sometimes see their gods doing nothing and would say, oh, well, he must have gone to sleep. So I need to wake him with a sacrifice or something. You know, it's mad, isn't it? If we say, the Lord is our help, the governor of all things, there's no way he's wandered off. It's It's like saying he's gone to sleep. It's ridiculous. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. By the way, just take this psalm to bed with you the next time you're struggling to sleep. Uh, A lovely theology of sleep here, isn't it? The Lord doesn't slumber or sleep. He is constant. And notice how constant he is. He is the, the one who keeps Israel. The one who promised to bring blessing to all the nations through Israel. Uh, the, the one who kept Abraham. Who kept the people in Egypt. Who rescued them. Uh, who, who, who took them to the promised land. Gave them the judges. Gave them the kings. Uh, when they failed, gave them the prophets. Took them into exile under his discipline and brought them out. The Lord has kept Israel. He's the creator and the redeemer. He constantly keeps his people. Keeps to his word. Keeps his promises. And he's constant. We can never say... The Lord is a guardian who doesn't care. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. And notice it is personal too. Look at verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Is the text, and it moves from um, Israel to us, to little old me. And the point is unmistakable, isn't it? Israel's Lord is our Lord, is your Lord. Israel's keeper is your keeper. God's care for you is personal. You know, it's easy to think sometimes, isn't it, that God cares about the big corporate gathering. But little me, well, I'm just lost within it. I I shouldn't think anyone would really notice if I wasn't here. I wouldn't have thought God would care much either. But no, look, the Lord says this morning, I care for my people and I care for you personally. Here, Here are these threats on the road. And the believer is afraid of all the harm that might come to them on the road, afraid of... Uh, these, these mythological forces and, and so on, the forces of darkness. And, and, and what does the psalm say? The Lord is your shade. He stops the moon from striking you. Now, let's just try and take that in for a moment. How does this work? How is it that the Lord is your shade? Little science quiz uh, for a moment. How do you get in the shade? How do you get in the shade? Well it's if something blocks out the sun's light, isn't it? If something or someone gets in the way and puts you in their shadow. Do you see? The Lord is your keeper and it's personal because He puts you you in His shade he gets between anything that would harm you and you. He puts himself between you and harm. God puts himself in the way of everything that the forces of darkness might throw at you. You know, sometimes people say that the Old Testament doesn't talk about Jesus. Well, just linger on this verse for a moment and you realize that's just not true, is it? What utter rubbish. How has God put us in his shade? How has he protected us from the barrage of the enemy? Well, he's done it by putting himself in our way, by taking the cross and putting us in his shadow, beneath the cross of Jesus, safe and protected. Just see, the Lord is your keeper, and it is personal. God is not some executive standing on high, issuing orders as if he's miles away. No, it is personal. He is our bodyguard. To get at us, you would have to get past God himself. All the threats of the whole world cannot get at us unless they get past God. For he's put himself in our way. Someone said that all of the water in all of the oceans cannot get at you unless they get inside a boat. (laughs) Well, all of the threats in all of the world cannot get against the believer unless they get past God. He is our keeper, our guardian. His protection is constant. His protection is personal. And notice it's total. His protection is total, verses 7 and 8. Look at verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. It's total, isn't it? It's comprehensive protection. The, the believer is kept from all evil. There, there, there seems to be this sense here that though the psalmist was afraid of tripping and falling, of what the sun could do to him or, or her or what the moon could do to them, um, there's a sense here that those aren't the only dangers out there. Uh, and they aren't the most significant. But that for every evil out there, even those that we can't see, the Lord keeps us. The Lord keeps us. He will keep, notice, your very life. That word there could also be translated as, he keeps your soul. The Lord keeps you from every evil. And look, notice again the totality of the Lord's protection. Verse 8, the Lord will keep you. Uh, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You see, the Lord won't just keep you from every variety of evil, but he will keep you wherever you go. Whether you're going out or whether you're coming in, he will be there no matter what. Uh, And notice he'll keep us not just in all places, but in all time from this time forth and forevermore. So whether you need the Lord in five minutes... Three months, whether you're calling for him in two days' time or in a decade's time, he will be with you from this time forth and forevermore. You cannot escape your keeper. You cannot lie low and think that he will give up. As the eternal God and ruler of all things, his shift never runs out. He is not and will not ever clock off. On you and me. He will always be there. It blows you away. And notice the beauty of those last words. Do you remember how the psalmist started? Crying out in desperation. From where does my help come? And yet in those last verses he notices. He, he's reminded. He, he's told. He tells himself. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from where does my help come from well the Lord's been keeping me in all my comings and goings you see the help doesn't come from somewhere out there off in the distance the Lord isn't out there he is right here and he always has been here then thirdly our third point has been here then is great reassurance to the believer in trouble, to the believer who needs help. The Lord is your keeper. He watches over you. And his protection means that he'll never be absent. There'll never be a time of your trouble where the situation will really be as precarious as it seems. His protection means that in our troubles, we can recalibrate our expectations. We're not looking for prosperity, at least not of the earthly kind. The Lord's keeping us here and now, but here is not our home. We're not making heaven now. Heaven is to come. The Lord keeps us now. It's protection now, prosperity to come. We're on our way to heaven. We're following the Lord. And you know, the Lord being our keeper means that we don't need to feel insecure We don't need to feel, I've got this stuff wrong and it's, it's my fault and just blaming ourselves for our troubles because the Lord hasn't left us sat and wallowing. The Lord is with us. He's keeping us, do you see? I don't need to feel secure about myself. The Lord's with me. And I don't need to feel insecure about God as if in my trouble God's not here because he is. He's not far off. He's watching over me. He's tenderly caring for me. And so when I know the Lord's protection and his keeping, I don't need to feel uncertain either. You know, I can get so easily get into trouble and feel a sense of malaise, a a haziness, a sort of lostness. And of course, I don't know precisely how things are going to work, but I don't need to feel uncertain. Because the Lord is my keeper, I have a guardian. You know, those celebrities, those pop bands and stuff, they, have, they tend to have a head of security, don't they? Um, and they go round on their tour and they don't know the next bit of the journey. And they might feel lost, but they never feel uncertain, do they? Because they have someone who's always saying, uh, ma'am, this way, sir, this way. Do you see? We have a guardian. We don't feel uncertain and lost. The Lord is our keeper. We have a head of security who happens to be the head of everything. And his protection means that in our troubles we don't feel a sense of meaninglessness or or that things are pointless. Because the Lord's my keeper. He's the supreme governor of all things. He is keeping me. He's keeping me here for some purpose. He's with me in my troubles. I know he's at work. And so I can know that he's in control of the whole story and the end of the story. I love the way author Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it. She says, I can know in some mysterious way that would be hard to explain that everything is going to be more wonderful for once having been so sad. I know that the ending of the story is going to be so great, it will make all the sadness and tears and everything seem like just a shadow that's chased away by the morning sun. Because the Lord is keeping us. What great reassurance. Let me ask you this morning, is it enough for you? Is it enough for you to trust the Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth? Because friends, it should be. Because it was enough for Jesus. Consider Jesus praying this psalm. He lifts his eyes to the hills and what does he see? He sees a hill. He sees the cross of Calvary and he trusts his father to keep him. He trusts his father that, that he won't slumber or sleep, that he'll keep him in it. He trusts his father that even as he faces the wrath of God, that the Lord will keep him even in this, that God the Father will raise him. And so as he looks to that hill and sees as it were the forces of darkness ready to do their worst, Jesus determines to go there to be our shade. He determines that we won't be struck, because he will be that. He will put us in his shadow. Every blow would fall on him, that he would keep our lives for all time. And so he becomes our keeper, he becomes our guardian. As God raises him from the dead, he is our eternal, ever-present guardian. He'll keep your life, he stakes his life on it. Of course, there will be times when we cry for help, when we feel tempted to sin, and when we go to all the wrong places, when we say, I don't understand, I'm at the end. But Psalm 121 says to us, the Lord is your keeper. Your help isn't over the hill somewhere. It's closer than you could ever imagine. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is your constant, personal, Total protection. He watches over every moment of your life as your Lord and your Saviour. So trust him with it all. He is keeping you from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Shall we pray? Wow, Father... Oh, that your name would be treated as holy in all the earth. Oh, that we would deeply rest in you as our ruler, as our protection. If you are our help, then you are our keeper. And you're the keeper of everything in every way. And it blows us away. And we see it all most beautifully in Jesus. So, Father, warm our hearts to him. Help us to functionally, practically rest in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.